Hey, Lighthouse family. Good to talk to you. I am sitting here. We have a very special guest today. You're going to hear from Fenton Ward, who is uh, just everybody's hero. We love Fenton. But as we're introducing today's podcast, I have another guest here. Uh, this is Miguel Combs. Hello, Miguel. Hi. Hey, Miguel. We have uh, we have some stuff coming up in July that is uh, kind of like VBS program. That's Wednesdays in July. So Wednesdays. Uh, Wednesday evenings, uh, kids are going to come out. Does that sound like fun? Yeah. What's your favorite thing about VBS? The songs. The songs. That's pretty cool. And uh, do you like the stories? Yeah. What's your favorite Bible story? You don't know? I don't know. All right. Anything else you have to share today? It's summer, so you're here with us in the office. Yeah. What, uh, what are you planning on doing with your summer? Going to the beach. Yeah, the beach is good. It's really hot today, too. I don't know when people are going to hear this, but... It's really hot today, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, Miguel Nathaniel Combs, I love you. I love you, too. All right. Hey, can you do me a favor and say, so Lighthouse Family, here's Fenton Ward. So Lighthouse Family, here's Fenton Ward. Boom. All right. Everybody have a good listen. So, so welcome to Lighthouse Stories Podcast. This is a, a project of Lighthouse Baptist Church, and we are here to hear your story and talk about hope and joy. That sounds like a pretty good way to spend a few minutes. So today I am with one of my heroes. This is Dr. Fenton Ward, who uh, is one of the first people that I got to meet when I got here to Lighthouse and some of our first conversations I want to refer back to because those are some of my favorite conversations. It was it was fun um, they're right at the beginning of, of our friendship. It's, it's been an easy friendship. It's yeah. been, been a lot of love very quickly. And, um, so Fenton, welcome. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, let's, let's hear your story. Where does it start? Where are we on the globe? Well, I'm wondering if you really want that, but on <laughs> the early morning hours of January the 11th, 1936, Dr. Spicker rode with <laughs> Sam Ward from his, office in Okemo, Oklahoma, out into the country, eight miles, to deliver a, a new child uh -huh. to a lady who, whose only other birth was 19 years earlier. And so the shock that was Finn Ward arrived. You, or do you want something more substantial? Do you, that, that was amazing. I, we are stealing this intellectual property because that's, that, sounds like, that sounds like the beginning to, mm -hmm. to a Dickens novel. Eight miles out in the country, eight yeah. miles out of town, yeah. and you have an older sibling who's 19 yes. years your we senior. Were, we were both only children. Yeah, it sounds like it. Is a brother or a sister? Brother. A brother. Was he out of the house by this no, it, morning? No, yes and no, because at that stage, um, uh, he was involved in the small, small family farm. Okay. Was your dad a farmer? Yeah, off and on and among other things. Okay. Um, What'd you farm? Well, we only farm, they only farmed 40 acres, okay. which is just a little bitty one. And generally, that was uh, most likely corn more than anything else in the meadow. Okay. Is, so Oklahoma, is it red dirt? No, no it's, it's pretty not. good loam. Okay. All right. So corn farm mm -hmm. in Oklahoma. 
in the i mean this is how a lot of really fun movies start like kids just running kind of freelance That's child right. and was that kind of the growing up experience just out running through the hollow and mm-hmm. yeah playing in the woods against my mother's commands not to mess with where the wild dogs had their burrows wild dogs and burrows mm-hmm. yeah this was this was on earth oh yes yeah <laughs> That sounds excellent. I, I was on the farm at the perfect age. When I got old enough to work, we had moved. <laughs> That's a, that is perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What else did your dad do for work? Ran small things like gas stations, and he was the manager of an ice plant, and he was always uh, bounced in and out of farming. And shortly thereafter, you were into World War II, mm. where my brother took over the farming, and my father worked in uh, the giant city of Okima. Mm. which I think is at their peak was probably 10,000 people. Okay. And he was there's some sort of war effort there? Oh, yeah. I can remember, you know, the major uniting factor of the World War II was we weren't too sure we would survive. Hmm. And so everybody was serious. As a country, like as a a species even, would we make it through this? Yeah. Hmm. And so were your parents involved in the war effort at all? Was no, there a just, bomb factory? or No, no. Just no. small, rural yeah. town life. And was it a happy childhood? Did you enjoy it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've lived a charmed life all my life. You always say that. And I want to talk about that because nobody's lived a charmed life and everybody's lived a charmed life yeah. in one sense or another, right? So there's something about a decision at some point that you made to start telling people, I've lived a charmed life. Yeah. And some and to the point where you've either started believing it or you really do just see and we'll talk plenty about God as we go. I can't imagine you and I are going to have a conversation <laughs> for very long without theology popping up. But but um, where you've said that is a truer story than a story of suffering and sorrow, yeah. even though there's parts of that there, too. A very uh, nondescript plain life in many ways. Mm hmm. Uh, many ways a unique life. Mm-hmm. Um, in the fact, start off with my mother got pregnant at 39 in a period of time when they didn't do mm-hmm. any monkeying around with the system. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, that so, was a bit. So yeah, did you did your brother feel like an uncle, like a cousin? Did you know him? No, it was all uh, not not to a great degree, but he took me with him. When he worked and that sort of thing. And so in many ways, uh, he was like a father would have been mm. if uh, that had been the normal age. Because your parents were older parents. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Father was 45, my mother 39. Yeah, so by the time you're 10, he's 55. Yep. When you're in the teenage, scuffling mm-hmm. around and, and whatever, they're, they're in their 60s. Yeah. Or he is. Yeah, he died when I was a senior, uh, just after I graduated from high school. Is that right? Has fatherlessness in some way played a played a role in your life, do you think? Or was there enough gift there that, that you feel like he gave you what you... Yeah. Uh, I don't think I had any sense of, uh, of, of loss in that aspect. Obviously, I lost my father, but I was already launched in a sense by then. Okay. And it wasn't a long... A prolonged no. illness? No. Or... no, he had a heart attack when I was in eighth grade and uh, destroyed my family financially. Not that they huh. had a lot yet, but uh, they'd just gotten a home. And in those days, uh, you paid your doctor bills and that was it. 
Yeah. And uh, they had to sell the house to pay his medical bills. And at that mm. stage, he was uh, still pretty well disabled. And we're in the mid-50s. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, well, it's like right about at 1950. Okay. And uh, I had an uncle that lined my parents up with a, uh, a store that uh, where you were uh, like a— it wasn't a franchise, but it was pretty close where okay. you you didn't own the store, but you were paid in relation to whatever sales occurred. Mm-hmm. And uh, we sold feed, bought cream from the farmers, sold milk and ice mm. cream and all that kind mm. of thing. And you work, did you work in the store? Yeah. Okay. And so my mother and I carried the, the labor load. Uh-huh. My dad kept the books and gradually got to where he was back full steam. And then he died of a cerebral hemorrhage when uh, July 4th. After I graduated hmm. in 54. Hmm. I got to tell you one other thing about my mother's faith at well, that stage. Well, I want to, I, I was going to just, you know, I've never heard you talk much about your dad, but I know your mom's name is Effie. Yeah. Because you mention her frequently, always with a sparkle in your eye. Yeah. Like this was, this was an important, not just, not just an important person because she was your mom, but you admired her and mm-hmm. yeah. So go ahead. In a growing way, the older I got, the more I had to deal with the questions of God. Mm. Um, she had, as a girl, you know, not been able to go to school because she had to run her parents' store a lot yeah, and take care of her brothers and sister. Consequently, uh, she was not that well educated, but she was wise and uh, loved the Gospels and Psalms and didn't care about the rest of it. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. Well, you can get pretty far <laughs> with the Gospels and Psalms. But anyhow... Uh, when my dad died, we lost the franchise. Mm. Uh, she had uh, less than 400 bucks left after we paid the medical bills. Wow. What did I know as an 18-year-old knucklehead, yeah. you know? Yeah, Sent about 300 of it with me to college to pay my uh, wow. first month's board, room and board and wow. my books. What a sacrifice. And launched me. Do you think there was a temptation in her to keep you home and be her support no. or mm. no and she went to work in a, a hospital in a, in the cafeteria okay made it the rest of her life and i scooted off you know fat dumb and happy into the world so it, you went to oklahoma state yep uh go cowboys yes sir. yeah uh <laughs> yes sir <laughs> but i think the oklahoma state oklahoma university football game was one of my first was the weekend of one of my first uh, Sundays here. Yeah. And we are still largely Oklahoman <laughs> as a... That's like true. My, our my, roots. My people are from Missouri, so I don't know how I got in. But but there's a lot of <laughs> Oklahoma fans here. and or Not just fans, but just roots, yeah. And uh, and I remember the, the maroon and orange showing mm-hmm. up and going, what is going on here? So correct me if I'm wrong. You, to me, like just knowing you and being your friend, you're a big city guy. Yeah. You're an intellectual. You like, you like hustle and bustle. Mm-hmm. You're a, you're a go-getter. You're never, you're not a sit still and sip an iced tea and whittle on the porch kind of guy. You want to be no. productive. So was there a, for lack of a better word, was there a dissatisfaction with small town life? Were you, did you have your eye on Oz, <laughs> as you were growing up? Uh, there was that thing that always comes, and it comes for everything, for sure, male. 
and that is that we all aspire as teenagers mm. and on a, on into young adult life. Some people never get over it of that thing of uh, I'm going to be president someday. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, it will well because it's me. Delusions of grandeur. That's yeah. right. My mom says I'm the best one ever. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and so I was. I went off to school, sadly, in hindsight, not worrying much about mom, just yeah. out to tackle uh-huh. the world. Yeah. What would you start studying? Listen, the Lord has pre- built me along the way uh, for what I am in many, many ways. Start off with what he built in me, I think, before I was born. Yeah. Um, and that is my uh, my bachelor's degree is in advertising and public relations. <laughs> you don't get any better training for evangelism than that. <laughs> and then uh, work was primarily sales. Mm-hmm. And so all that stuff was stacking up, you know, as I went along. What was it that attracted you to marketing? Is it the you enjoy default? Being- Oh, is that right? Yeah. Um, high school, I thought about uh, two two dreams that happily the Lord delivered me from, because mm-hmm. it would have probably ruined me or killed me or whatever. <laughs> One was I thought it'd be great to be a musician. I wanted to talk to you about yeah. music. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows if I'd have died in some loft in, yeah. in Brooklyn yeah. if I had, a, or I wanted to paint. Yeah. But I did decide before I got to school that I liked eating more than painting. Okay. That was before, that was in high school you came <laughs> yeah, up with that. Yeah. yeah. So the closest thing was it was, well, I'll go into advertising. That's graphic. And uh, okay. I didn't give much thought to the uh, written side of it, but that huh. opened up as I went in. Were you an orator of any kind in high school? No. No. Mm-hmm. You did, that came later. No, I spent, uh, I spent uh, grade school and a good amount of junior high uh, very obese, mm-hmm. which meant I went through all that whole thing of uh, the last one picked for the game. It's mm, a lot of fun. You know, and all of that struggle. Uh, so um, I, I got into that to some degree, um, not expecting mm. to be the one, to be the president uh, of the junior class. You kind of felt like a behind-the-scenes guy. Well, and even that, and the other thing, one other thing I think I did psychologically was that uh, I made that division along the way that I would rather lead the outcasts yep. than be part of the bench warmers of the accepted. Ah, let's find a tribe uh-huh. that's looking for a, a leader. Yeah, and so that developed us uh, for bad or good, developed a... Uh, well. A, you know, a drive to get there by shrewdness since I couldn't by strength. Well, and I, I mean, if your passions are music and art, look, there's very few successful, yes. rich and famous <laughs> musicians and artists. Most, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a undercurrent. It's a, it's a, 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 a I don't know, underclass tribe yes. or um, it's happening in back alleys and back rooms yeah. <laughs> instead of, at the student council government, whatever. I think there's another thing in artistic people. And that is that, and this is why I say happily I didn't die in some loft in mm-hmm. Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Um, you're an experimenter. Yep, that's right. Which can get you in as much trouble as good grief, you know, as good as grief. Yeah. 
So you tinker with things you got no business tinkering with. Right. How far can I push this? Yeah. What, how can I, and some striving for, you know, I don't want to be, do anything derivative. Mm-hmm. Want a new idea. That's right. A new song, a new perspective. The established is boring. That's right. That's right. Which is, you know, there's always that cycle in art and in music where, well, the established was avant-garde at some point. Yeah. But then it was copied a million times and mm-hmm. got boring and it's time for a new quantum leap forward. Mm-hmm. So before we leave Oklahoma, um, we, we should probably talk about Jesus and Margaret. Yeah. Yeah. So how, what did faith look like when you were a kid? Did you, you, were you in church? Yeah, I was in church. But I got saved when I was nine. Uh, the impact, uh, um, well, you guys can edit all this down, but the, the long story is, First time that I ever gave him any thought of what that you had to make a commitment to Jesus within mm-hmm. vacation Bible school. Yeah. And I didn't go down and make a commitment, but I thought I better think about this. Yeah. And I spent about two weeks mulling it around at the level you can do at nine. Which is deeper than people give it credit for. Yes. There's some deep yeah. thoughts that are happening in the heart of a nine year old. Uh, and I was sitting up outside the back porch on the farm. Uh, climbed up in the peach tree and watching the sunset and gave yeah. my heart to Jesus. Uh-huh. So if you haven't gotten saved in a peach tree, I'm not sure you're going to make it. <laughs> <laughs> told my mother, told the church, uh, then went on later, you know, met Margaret when I was in high school. Yeah. You know, fell in love with her the first day I saw her. Okay, let's get to Margaret here in a minute. I want to tell you a story. At least two of my children have come to the Lord apart from my involvement. It wasn't in yeah. a peach tree, but it was, hey, guess what I just yeah, did? Yeah, I just gave my yeah. heart to the Lord. And I wonder if if Effie had the same, you know, instinct that I had, like, I need to I need to make sure this was right. right. And <laughs> I've been dreaming since I held you as a newborn uh-huh. that I was going to lead you to the Lord. What do you mean just before you got mm-hmm. out of bed? You know? <laughs> yeah, I so, hadn't thought of that. Yeah, so I wonder, it, you up in that peach tree, just you and Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. Okay, so you you so where'd you meet Margaret? We were moving, and I I moved from uh, Vanita to Pryor. Met her halfway through sophomore year of high school. Of or? high school, really. Mm-hmm. And there was a really strange thing. There was a cadre in Pryor. I don't want to condemn any of the city mm-hmm. of girls that were tight as could be. About eight of them that in the class I was in were legitimately moral guides for the class in a positive sense in a positive sense wow that's they didn't carry signs or anything but i mean these girls were serious about being moral wow neat i came from a town vanita which was next to grand lake which is about half party town was the opposite extreme what is party town in the 40s or yeah late 40s what's that look like our kids our kids drinking and something wild like mixed bathing yeah, you can't, can't have that happen. No. Yeah. But uh, anyhow, uh, she didn't have it. She wouldn't give me the time of day. Yeah. I had a sharp little car, and when any of those gals needed transportation, I was in like Flynn. Otherwise, right. they didn't know I was alive. Yeah, that, that's, that's fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tiffany frequently says that, I don't know if she says it like this, but that, she fell in love with my truck about the same time she was falling in love with me. <laughs> Ain't nothing wrong with that. Yeah. So you were the ride, and mm-hmm. you saw Margaret, and 
your heart leapt and yeah, butterflies cannot, in your stomach. And, I can understand why anybody hadn't snagged this girl. At 15? Yeah, well, what would it be? About 16, yeah. Okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. So did you grow a friendship in high school? Not particularly. Okay. <laughs> did she go to OSU? She to, no, she went to Northeastern, which is in Tahlequah. I don't know any of these towns. How far okay. are we talking? Uh, not, it's about halfway from Pryor, where we lived, to Stillwater, where I went to school. Okay. And anyhow, the uh, last time I talked to her before I went to school was, they had I had a Jeepster convertible. Mm. Mm, that's right. And she and her buddies had, had taken and written with soap all over it, and I was hot. <laughs> And I tracked those girls down, and they were at Margaret's house. And so, with the help of her brother telling on her, I rousted those girls out to wash my car. Yeah. <laughs> and about a week later, I went off to school. And about a, a while later, yeah, there it is. Yeah, we just looked up Jeepster convertibles. Man, yeah. that's, a, that's a heck of a ride, Fenton. Yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, and yeah. so I got a letter from Margaret saying, you know, we ought to correspond. You can report on... The, prior kids at Oklahoma State, and I'll tell you about the prior kids at Tahlequah. Okay. And from that, developed, uh, she finished her bachelor's uh, without taking any stuff in uh, three years, huh. and we got married, and I took me four and a half. Okay. Because <laughs> I took all kinds of fun stuff, like, uh, okay. like aviation flight, hmm. golf, you know, those are important things. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, if you're going to be a marketing guy, being decent at golf is not a bad idea. Yeah. You know, probably a lot of deals get done. Yep. So we got married after she graduated. She did her master's while I finished up, and then we went into the Army. Oh, okay. Were you ROTC or? ROTC lieutenant. Okay. Is that how you paid for college? or? No. I worked my way through school. Okay. And um, so you, I'm trying to do math. You're, this is. What year are we talking now? Uh, I graduated January 59. January 59 and and straight into the Army? Yeah. For how many years? Four. Okay. I gained one year above the two required because they went out and let me fly an airplane a while. Okay. I never I never followed through with that in the Army because they changed the rules and a bunch of other stuff, but I would have never been a good pilot because mm. I never got really comfortable with where it was second nature. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but uh, anyhow, so I, they went at, that knocked it up to three. While I was in Germany, they put up the Berlin Wall, which knocked it up to four. You were in Germany when the Berlin Wall yeah. went up. Yeah, I never thought I'd live to see it come down. What? I mean, what was? What, what's the temperature of the room in Germany as the Berlin Wall is going up? Is there a lot of fear? <sighs> yeah. There was evacuation notices for your family if, quote, wow. the balloon went up, which in hindsight were ridiculous. I don't even know what that means. It means, okay, Margaret and Carla, uh -huh. head for France. Hope you make it. If Was there a literal balloon? No, 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 no. That's the lingo for if you go to war. Oh, I see. In huh. other words, if, they, if the tanks roll out of, by the word later, Ron served, uh -huh. Grafenwehr, which is the East German border. If the tanks roll out, I was down on the southwest border. Hmm. Then you've got like about uh, four to six hours to get out. Wow. 
Uh, Ron was there much, much later, mm-hmm. but his distance was 15 minutes. Wow. But uh, it never had to be used. But I imagine there's a, a tense energy Oh yeah, just all around the whole project. Is there a lot of, like, are you privy to what's going on just in the with the german people as far as are they is it confusion is it hatred is it anger like what's going on in the market no i don't think so there was tension yeah but it's kind of like illustration i use a lot of times uh how we come become complacent to danger you know it's like the people who live at the base of the volcano yeah and that was kind of the feeling you know something might go but but you have to go to work anyhow Uh uh-huh so, when you left the army, mm-hmm. um, did you have a job lined up? Or yep. Was there a job you did? And so that had you decided where you want to live in the world at that point, or was it yeah. just go look for a job anywhere? No, I I did the best I could. Um, I enjoyed economics in school, and uh, I did the best sur- survey I could, and I decided that there were three economic hotspots in the nation. Okay. Los Angeles, San Francisco, and Houston. And I told God, I will never live in California. You did? And so I went to Houston. All right, all right. Which was good. Yeah. Went into retailing. um, Like work at a... I was a um, buyer for a men's Oh, okay, yep. Which, not to rush the story too much, and I realize you guys, you know, edit this down to sanity... But uh, <laughs> we're hoping not to. <laughs> but but going into retail for three years uh-huh. provided me a um, pool of prospects for when I went into the life insurance business. Ah, that all fit together. And then the life insurance business and the security stuff gave me what's called renewals, which is ongoing uh-huh. pay to help with seminary. Yeah, and even when Tarzana was started. Would you say like you're a networker? Like not as good as I should be. Okay. So the relationships that you're building when you're working in retail uh you don't have your eye on I'm I'm meeting this guy and I'm getting to know him for some future business thing. You're just trying to kind of get the job done and relationships are a byproduct of that. Uh more than they probably should have been. Okay. Where are you with your faith as you're climbing ladders? Ah. Are there seasons of of yeah. complacency? Best part of my testimony I skipped over. Let's hear it. When I got saved at nine, I was so tickled to escape hell and death. Yeah. That I said, okay, God, we've done this. Goodbye. Well, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'll call you if I need you. You know, if you would have been in a pear tree, maybe. Yeah, maybe so. Yeah. I didn't even give it a thought. I thought that's all there was to it. You know, I got mm. this great amount of uh, discipling when I got saved of, well, praise the Lord, Fenton. Mm-hmm. Sit down and fill out this card. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that I didn't work. I had done it. You that's know? amazing. Uh, when Margaret got pregnant with Carla, there was that sense of, uh, what are you going to teach your kid? Mm. If this thing's a lie, mm. you ought not teach it. Mm. If it's not a lie, it's critical. Mm. What is it? Mm. And so in my grand egotism, I sat down to see if God would pass. And are you going to church? Are you a part of a Christian community during this time? or Yeah, I'm in a military chapel. Okay. Um, 
By the way, and uh, attitudinally at that stage, I was agnostic at best, even though I was the Sunday school director. Yeah, that's a pretty common story. Uh, yeah. yeah. And so it took about two years of struggle, and finally uh, we, were, we were converting a uh, ammo depot in Verdun mm. that De Gaulle gave us, which was full of unexploded ordinances and booby mm. traps and all that mm. kind of thing. He gave us great space. But anyhow, uh, I was struggling with this whole thing, you know, is it true, is it not? Because God wouldn't get in the test tube. Ah, you know he wouldn't uh, he wouldn't prove himself and i sat down and gave up mm. and basically said you know lord if you can affirm this to me tell me and there was a scripture came to mind that i had no business remembering yeah. humanly uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled mm. and i thought wow okay mm. Mm. Sounds good to me. Yeah. And then the second thing I thought was my own brilliance, but was the Holy Spirit's direction. Why don't you read Romans? Yeah. I hadn't read the Bible in years. Huh. And of course, Romans locks it philosophically. And we came back to the U.S. I was assigned, my last duty was the Army Pictorial Center in New York City. Hmm. Went to a little church, and they were studying the Messianic prophecies. Ah. And it was a lock. Huh. And uh, I have been hungry ever since. Can you, do you think that there was a, a love of Old Testament history kind of in you already? Or do you think that that had something to do with your kind of the rest of your life, really lifelong yeah. enjoyment of? I think it was latent. Yeah. You're, you're a good fit for that. Yeah. Kind of putting those kind of, connecting those mm -hmm. kind of dots, putting those pieces together. Yeah. What do you think about, so like I've, I, I mean, I've heard it said and said it myself many times, a lot of times in faith, especially when we come to faith as a child, it has to fall apart at some point. Like the faith yeah. of a child, a nine-year-old's faith, where you're just trying to get out of hell mm -hmm. and you just know Jesus loves me, this I know, that is really not a faith that can sustain grown-up life. No. It, there's there's too much burden, too much suffering in the world, too many big decisions for that simple faith. And I think you, you do come around to Jesus loves me, this I know. Mm -hmm. Like, that's where you end. But, um, I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Is that kind of like yeah. your story, that it falls apart and you have to spend some formative years in your early 20s putting it back together, seeing seeing if there's a faith that can bear up under the burden of... Germany and marriage and mm -hmm. child and all of that. Yeah, what questions can you have at nine? Right. And, you know, one of the things that you and I have always connected about is, man, questions and even doubt are not our enemy. No. They're imperative in growing in the Christian faith. Yeah. I wonder if, you know, one of the first things... In a first meeting, like before I even started working here, uh, there were maybe 10 of us in a room and I said, hey, what are your dreams for Lighthouse? You know what I'm going to say right now. Mm -hmm. You you said that you would love for Lighthouse to be a place of philosophical inquiry. And I knew right then we we're going to be friends mm -hmm. like that. That's exactly what maybe the church is sometimes afraid to be. Um, why do you think that's so important? And what do you mean by it? Um. 
the citizen degree, you know, I think it should be because um, you have to venture past the nine-year-old. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing, too, is that uh, I'm committed. All truth is from God. Here we go. Preach on, preacher. <laughs> and therefore, uh, if it is true what the uh, geologists say, then it's from God. Yep. If it doesn't fit God, then they made a mistake. Mm-hmm. You know, now, but I'm willing to hear what they have to say yeah. because there is truth m- muddied in with all the other thought, mm-hmm. uh, including my uh, assumptions from what I read out of the truth. Okay, you just said there's truth muddled in yeah. to all of thought. I think that's so wise to say, look— God has planted truth in the middle of this conversation. Yeah. But I'm getting in the way too. Yeah. And I shouldn't hold this in such a firm grip as to think that everything I think <laughs> is in line with truth. Yeah. Well, there's anything too about the hard questions. Um, there are answers. Yep. And unless you ask the questions, you never get the answer. Right. Or but- never get comfortable with the tension. No, I think what you do is, and I think you get into this in uh, adult evangelism. Um, usually for most, it's about uh, somewhere between 10 and 15, where we ask the important, ultimate questions of life. Mm-hmm. Where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? Mm-hmm. And most people come along and uh, they don't find satisfactory answers. Mm-hmm. So they put those questions in a box and they nail a lid on the box. And mm-hmm. they do not want you coming and kicking off the lid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so don't ask those questions. And that can happen for the saved as well as the lost. Sure. Yeah, that's right. I wonder, you know, if, as you're asking like existential questions and I'm thinking about the time of your <clears throat> when you're entering teenage and young adulthood. Were, and so we can totally edit this out if, if uh, this is a dumb question. Were the beats, were you aware of? you know, on the road and Jack Kerouac and like, are those didn't have a clue. Is that right? Just that didn't make it to Oklahoma. That's how, mm-hmm. that's why you told God you're not going to California. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, you the know, gate of hell. Well, you know, it, because to me, like the, the way the, uh, not just pop culture, but just the way the art, uh, both music and, and visual and, and, and poetry. I always yeah. love poetry that I was consuming when I was asking those questions. They were so good at asking that question. Yeah. And it took me a because they were so eloquent as they asked, what, what am I doing here? It took me a few years to figure out that they didn't actually have anything to offer, mm-hmm. that there was no answer to that, you know, um, but that, that they were just good at saying life seems meaningless. And I'm like, yeah, yeah but they didn't have <laughs> anything past that you know i think there's another thing too even for the believers who don't venture into hard questions for sure and that is it's a lack of faith Ah. to the degree that i am safe in god Mm -hmm. i can do anything Mm. nothing is ultimately dangerous Mm. if all of this stuff we say is true Mm. now it might be stupid but, you know, God can rescue me if I make a blunder. So if, if society or just my own experience makes me think, 
wow, I might not have a big enough view of God, or I might understand wrong things about God, or can God really uh, uh, live in the same universe mm -hmm. as this truth that seems so clear to me yeah. right now? There's, um, is what you're saying, like, well, well, God's big enough to handle that question. Yeah. You can, in other words, if God is going to take care of me, Jesus is going to cart me off to heaven someday and fix all this mess. Yeah. Then what have I to lose? And he does not mind us asking questions. I think a, a great illustration for me is Jacob wrestling with God. Yeah. It seemed like God honored it. Mm. He seemed to enjoy Jacob's resistance, mm -hmm. Jacob's demands. Mm. And at the end there, he changes his name, and, and I don't think very many people grasp uh, the full meaning of Israel. Fundamentally, Israel means governed by God. Mm. And therefore, the change in Jacob was that he became governed by God. Mm. But it was he would have not have come to that if he hadn't, wrestled with God on the well, whole thing. Well, that's the, you know, you're you're the Hebrew guy and my language skills are terrible, but... Um, my reputation exceeds my competence. It, <laughs> I, I hope so. That's the marketing background. <laughs> um, but, uh, but isn't in that word Israel, there's a, there's an element of wrestling, of uh, yeah. a striving. Um, stop lying, you deceiver, mm -hmm. and have some honesty um, as you wrestle with God and it cost him too. I mean, yeah. and a lot of times that a lot of times it does, like a, a lot of times you don't come out of the time of philosophical inquiry, bright and shiny. You come mm -hmm. out with a deeper truth. You come out more sure of your relationship with God, but you do come out limping. Mm -hmm. You know, if you want easy answers, the scriptures are not, not the, <laughs> not the place to go for easy, for true, for deep. Yes. But, but Parenthetically, by the way, yeah. Um, Esau, yeah, seeing a crippled brother, mm. may have saved Jacob's life. Mm. You think if Jacob shows up in full regalia, yeah. there might be a fight. There might have been a fight. Yeah, and not one that Jacob had a great mm -hmm. chance of. Yeah, I like it. So you're in Houston. Yeah. You go from retail buying to selling insurance. Mm-hmm. And fairly successful. Yeah. Yeah. Making a living. Oh, yeah. Raising kids. Yeah, yeah. Things are good. Good life. Uh, Margaret's a school teacher. Uh, primarily at that stage, uh, stay at home mother. Okay. Um, your friendship with Margaret is fun for me to watch. The two of you have, have you guys just enjoyed laughing together? Oh, yeah. That's, that's always been a fun, a fun relationship. Mm -hmm. So you're in Houston, things are going well. And then there's, uh, I've heard this story a little bit, um, but I'd love you to tell me again, just the transition into ministry. There's some internal, what we might call yeah. internal leading. There's also some external forces that are playing together that make it pretty clear. Mm -hmm. It's time to go to seminary. You know, I've looked back at that a, a lot to try to figure it out. The thing that came to a head in a sense, by the way, you know, I've said this to you before. I've done everything in a Baptist church except around the women's ministry. And at that stage, I was chairman of the deacons in my church. But uh, I was bored with the whole mess. Yeah. And so I had all this aggravation within me. You know, Lord, I would have liked to run around with Paul and Silas. Mm. They were doing good stuff. That mm. looked like fun. 
And here I am in the, you know, the maintenance. Yeah, the deacon board meetings in the church in Ephesus are not recorded for us. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I went through about a year and a half there where basically God was saying, you know, it's not my fault things are boring. Ah, you know. Oh, my <laughs> fault. I'm not boring. You're boring. <laughs> You're boring. That's right. And uh, and also, I have always been just addicted to trying to figure out uh, prophecy. Yep. And so you know, I in my life's story and all that, I'd work on it sometimes when I got the fever, get frustrated, put it away for two or three years, and come back. Huh. And so there was a sense that developed at work, which is basically kind of this. And that is, here you are, you know, working on either personal plans or corporate plans for retirement 40 years from now. I wasn't sure we had 40 years. Okay. Uh, Jesus is going to have to explain to me when I see him why he's late. (laughs) You know, but I'm going to give him a slide on it. But... uh, I'm sure he's grateful. <laughs> yes, yeah. I'm sure he is. Uh, you know, what's it? What what good is all of this? Yeah. And that developed into going to seminary. Okay. Um, so what's that conversation like as you go in and say, hey, Margaret, mm-hmm. uh, you know this well-paying job I have? Yes, it's gone. I'm going to no. quit, and instead I'm going to go back to college yeah. and solve all the world's problems with Old Testament survey. Mm-hmm. When I went to seminary, I did not have a sense from God what I was supposed to do. Seminary I, is good for that, right? Like, yeah. there's a lot of tracks. There's a lot of options. Yeah, but I had one thing I was happy about. Uh, I had my personal theology locked. Before you got there. Yeah. Uh, but there was this sense, and I never realized till years later when you go into a vocational ministry. Mm-hmm. We all have that sense of God has called me, but we don't realize that we're dragging people along with us into the fight who may not have any sense of call. That's right. And they will suffer. Yep. But anyhow, we got into that whole thing of is this true? And I told Margaret finally, put it off longer than I should have, because, you know, this was in the fall and January is the next semester. And in your heart, you're planning on being there. Not fully. Okay. I just hope to figure it out, but it seems that's the direction. So mm-hmm. I told her, and uh, her response was, I don't see it. We're well located. We got the kids in the good school. Mm-hmm. This is the house with the white picket fence. Mm-hmm. Everything is fine. I don't have any sense of it whatsoever. You know, God has not given me that call, but I'll go with you. Wow. So we trudged off to Southwestern to, you know, get some advice and wisdom. Okay. Had an appointment with three different profs. Went to the first one and uh, said, you know, basically, this is my story. You think I should come? His attitude was, oh, my, yes, with your business background. We need that desperately, you know, because very few, if they go through Bible school and then write it. No kidding. All that, you yeah. know, they're not equipped for it's the Well, hole. yes, come. Oh, that's wonderful. Went to the next guy, and he said, no. Mm. Fort Worth's got preachers stacked up all over everywhere, unemployed. The huh. business world needs Christian businessmen. Yep. Well, what yep. do you do now? Both, both of those are true. Time went, to the, went to the third guy, and I told him the story, and he basically said, well, you could come or you could not. <laughs> <laughs> went home with no help whatsoever. Yeah. Looked at housing, and there's some of the places on the list that were pathetic. So that wasn't encouraging to Margaret. Yeah. 
and went home and finally just came down to the point and said, we got to go. Yeah. And so we went What's off. that feel like? Like, just, I think the question that I've been asked more times in my life is, how do I hear God's voice? Mm-hmm. How do I know God's talking to me? So could you just, like, like make it as, as earthy as possible? Is it a discontent? Is it a sitting in your office at work going, I just, I just don't care about this anymore? Is it being at church going... I have a vision that I feel like I'm, I need to lead. Like, what, what's it look like? I've been trying to figure that out ever since. Okay. Uh, the, the observable parts was this sense of, you know, good grief, you know, this is not worth the effort anymore. Mm-hmm. And the other was, uh, all the world's going to hell in a handbasket, and nobody seems to be doing anything about it. Okay. So there's that push-pull, you know, thing. Uh, but the other thing I've tried to deal with later in life to figure out, and I haven't succeeded too well, <laughs> is this thing of faith. You know, uh, faith I'm committed is a gift of God. It is not our, we do not produce it. Right. We have to somehow exercise it, but we don't yeah. produce it. Uh, and when I look back on uh, what got us to L.A., uh, humanly speaking, to have gone through all of that, you would have had to have been insane. Yep. Flat out insane. But I coasted through all of that, you know, just unconcerned. How much of that is just a passion for the scriptures and an enjoyment of? I don't know. Yeah. But uh, I, I never, almost to a point of irresponsibility, never gave it much thought. About how we're putting food on the table. How next. are we going to, you know, uh, when we went to LA. So uh, why don't you. Yeah, go ahead. Well, just tell us a little bit. You went to LA and you were a local church pastor, but your. Church planter. Th- church planter. But the emphasis was you were were church. on the mission to. Yeah, reach the Jewish community. To reach the Jewish community. And not exclusively, but to have a congregation that had Jews beyond token. Jew. Okay, yeah. To have, did, to have the flavor of yeah. the congregation be rooted in Judaism. We were not a Messianic synagogue where you did the whole shtick, right. you know, okay. and all that. Neither were we a wasp church. Uh-huh. We were with this weird thing that nobody could figure out. Yep. But uh, God worked miracles, and Margaret, by the way, uh, became the dominant wage earner mm-hmm. teaching in uh, an adult school, mm-hmm. uh, which was a tremendous blessing, even to the point of today that she has our medical covered. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyhow, I was retired. But I started out, even in, even though this was 77, mm-hmm. I started out at 800 a month. Oof. Highest How ever. old were you? Uh, f- uh, let me see, 40. And how old are the kids? Had one, Carla, we sent back to East Texas Baptist College to start college. Mm-hmm. Robert was in high school. No, junior high. Chris was in grade school. So you have a college student, a junior higher, and a kid in yeah. elementary school. You're 40 years old. Mm-hmm. You've been to seminary. You moved to the place where you told God you were never going to go. Yeah. And, I mean, that sounds electrifying. It sounds like so much fun. It also sounds terrifying. Yes. 
God protected me from that somehow. From the terror? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And somehow, by the way, bought a house in L.A. that if I'd been on the other side of the desk approving the loan, I would have never approved. Yeah. Yeah. It was insane. Yeah. So what was life like in L.A. when you started? One of the, especially when you're a church planter, one of the struggles I think that people might not know about being a pastor is the beauty is there's a lot of freedom in it. Mm-hmm. The 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 hard part is you don't always know what to do. Mm-hmm. You don't always know what your day's supposed to look like. You don't always know like what's the tip of the sword. I'm I'm praying, I'm studying, but I don't I don't have a clear word as far as where to have lunch today or how to mm-hmm. grow a church. So what's it look like day to day? Well, as a church planter, you do everything from sweeping out to, to preaching. Had a church died in that building? Or? Yeah, several had. Okay. So uh, it was a church facility. Yeah. Looked like a church. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> by the way, getting a building is not always a good deal. No kidding. Yeah. <laughs> and by the way, uh, the last group that was there had turned it over uh, to the association with a mortgage, and so they also wanted us to turn in part of our ties to help pave off the loan. Yeah. Which in hindsight was ridiculous. Yeah. But we'd managed it. So what'd you spend your days doing? Those first, the mission is we're going to have good conversations with Jewish folks. And so were you at well, passing he, out flyers at the synagogue? No, no. You gotta be, God calls you to be brave, but he also calls you to be smart. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, First thing was to get a viable group that could survive. Yeah, that's right. Uh, my first struggle was uh, developing uh, preaching skills. Mm-hmm. I didn't have any trouble, uh, you know, with a Bible study, but uh, the delivery and all. Mm-hmm. And then we just did whatever we could do. We looked for things we could do to stand out. And uh, Christmas, as we sang in the apartment buildings, for example, mm-hmm. invited people out in the quadrangles to sing, and then mm-hmm. hand out leaflets. Yeah, and we did just. And the Lord, you know, picked us up a few here and a few there. And uh, you know, there's an area for you guys to think about on this, uh, for good or bad. Uh, within five years, the congregation will be exactly like you. Mm-hmm. It'll be strong where you are strong and weak where mm-hmm. you are weak. Mm-hmm. And so basically what Tarzana was was more of a mission organization than a standard mm-hmm. congregation. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's because I got to, you know, point the ship, but it was the uh, greatest congregation I've ever been in mm. because none of them came out of a Christian background uh. and didn't know any better than to talk about Jesus as well as the Dodgers. Uh-huh. They didn't realize that this was off limits. Mm. Mm. And so they were ready to go get them. Huh. And uh and they developed where about a third of the congregation was Jewish. Mm-hmm. Uh international. Uh two of the greatest joys of my life one Sunday morning. I looked up, and the two guys that were taking up the order, offering, one was retired Navy, mm-hmm. who'd done the gun bolts in Vietnam, mm-hmm. and the other one was a, uh, a North Vietnamese who had wow. been liberated, come through China, and had come. Wow. And I saw Sundays where there was Jew on one 
aisle and Gentile on the other. Sure. And it was a great joy. You know, you seem especially suited for that sort of work. Like, yeah, you know, God built me for this. He really did. You know, even the whole philosophical inquiry thing, the no easy answer thing, the the you know functioning agnostic mm-hmm. in your early you know mm-hmm. adulthood thing. It's a great place to start a, a conversation with a Jewish thinker. Like that is much more biblical thinking than academia yeah. sometimes lends you to think. You know, we're supposed to think about the Bible. Yeah, culturally, uh, I found a home. Ah. And tremendous blessings that that different perspective gives. Uh-huh. Can we, so I want to talk about your writing a little bit. Mm-hmm. And let's maybe start with what you're working on right now. Because you are working through the Torah. Mm-hmm. On a, it's a pastoral kind of commentary. It's not mm-hmm. super technical, super useful, super practical. I enjoy, I enjoy reading every chapter. Um, there's not too many, uh, you know, this is, this is still a non-traditional path yeah. <laughs> that you're kind of on um what is it that that you love so much about these ancient scriptures that it's worth the sweat and toil of writing about it i think it's the fact that i'm committed that there is no minutia waste in the bible okay yeah and even though there's some of that stuff like when you get into chronicles yeah not riveting. Not riveting. Yep. But it, it's got to have some purpose. Mm-hmm. And that the more detailed minutia you can come to understand, the more it affirms the absolute historicity of the scriptures mm. and their miraculous mm. quality. Mm-hmm. Because when you get into the exactness of the scriptures, you know, down to a gnat's eyelash in there. Mm-hmm. There is no way under the sun this thing could have ever come into being except that God mm-hmm. shepherded it. Mm-hmm. And so I get very uh, put out with uh, theologians, for example, who talk about eras rather than, no, if you use it, you know, it was this and so. Oh, oh like, exactly. like, like dating. That's right. Oh, is that right? Yes. All right. And so that drives me, uh, and I enjoy puzzles. Uh-huh. You know, there's an answer in here somewhere. <laughs> you just got to keep digging. Yeah. That's probably it. I like it. So... Now, the writing part... Yeah. Uh, and the, the enjoyment, in, by the way, in preaching, and I'm sure you share this. Yep. You find some phenomenal insight. Yep. And you have people to tell. It's amazing. Well, uh, when you no longer have a pulpit and so on, and you find some marvelous insight, mm-hmm. um, you need, you know, to tell it. Now, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not too swift on how to move to where we are now where, you know, books are becoming apparently obsolete and moving into blogs and all of that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but there's some stuff out there. Well, and, and like music or art, you know, it's not the best book that always gets published or noticed or whatever. Like there's a there's mm-hmm. a mystical nature to the business side of it too. That yeah. that and you know we're in little sleepy Monterey, California. It's not the hotbed. Zondervan's not you know trolling the aquarium mm-hmm. looking for theology writers too. So, um, but you know there is that, and I want to talk to you about this too because there is that um, like preaching every week is a grind, mm-hmm. and there's some weeks it's tiresome 
but the the thrill of thinking that I got to spend hours pouring into the scriptures. And sometimes you write sometimes you write something that you think, wow, this is a wonderful insight. And sometimes you go, well, we did it. (laughs) (laughs) Sunday happened. (laughs) But even in that, like there's a desperation to the grind of it that keeps you very closely hanging on to God. Mm -hmm. Right. And that I I think that's a real gift. I I don't know if I would say I enjoy it, but I would say I'm so humbled by the desperation of being a preacher. And, you know, Susan was in here earlier talking about her dad. Mm -hmm. And um, I've gotten to know uh, Ralph Silva a little bit, who's a a family here. Her uh, Kim's dad uh, was a pastor for his whole career. And I've spent some good time with him. And it's the ghost of Christmas future for me, right? Yeah. And and all of and all of you guys kind of sound the same. Like the passion for the scriptures is it doesn't go away, but that you do have to find different ways mm-hmm. to, for that desperation. Yeah. To have some kind of like it's not that I have to produce something, but without a deadline, I'm not sure I'd ever get to the bottom of this question. So I've talked too much. Am I am I no, on no, it? No, Is yeah. there something there? Well, but see, my pattern was different from yours. Okay. Uh, I never preached a book. Okay. Uh, whether I was right or wrong may be up for <laughs> question. Jesus was a topical <laughs> preacher. <laughs> it's okay. But, uh, but I basically preached what I was discovering. Huh. So you are just chasing rabbit trails. You got it. And standing on Sunday morning mm-hmm. with a manuscript, yeah, saying, "Here's what my week yeah. was yeah. like." And I always, by the way, and this is rare, I always preach from a full manuscript. Now you got to read it in a way they don't catch you, right? But it's, it's good because it's uh, you don't run over, mm-hmm. and you can anyhow. Do you remember the word count? You, I got it written down somewhere, yeah, I'm sure. I would be interested in that because yeah. there is a word count that I know when I get there. Okay. Or about there, yeah. So, and the great terror of me when I graduated was, how in the world do you get three messages a week? That's hard, yeah. But I never ran out. Right, yeah. Now, there were some times that I went in and I was excited about stuff and they were excited. And there were times where I was excited and they were... Yeah, you know, <laughs> I've I never looked, experienced that. I looked out at these people who didn't have a clue. yeah. Uh, the one that's classic, when you look at the uh, cities of refuge, yep, there's about 15 things there that reflect what Jesus ultimately was. Hmm. And I rolled in and preached that. I only preached it one time <laughs> because nobody was with me. <laughs> and if you get into those times when you know they're not with you, man, that's a grind. 20 minutes is a long <laughs> yeah, time. Yeah, sure can be. <laughs> so... Well, we all have, <laughs> we all have those, mm. you know, there are, uh, well, yeah, it's a whole different, it's <laughs> a whole different conversation. It is though, it's hard to, well, there's two things. First of all, in preaching, not that what we do is the same as the inspiration of scripture, but there's a parallel in that I can sit down and write whatever you need me to write. Like mm-hmm. if you're just looking for somebody to stand up and talk and I, and you know me, I'm, it's 40 minutes on mm-hmm. a Sunday morning. It, I can, there's, it's math. I can mm-hmm. produce that, but that's useless mm-hmm. unless God is actually doing something. So the other side of that is the guy who's like, no, I didn't write anything down. 
the Holy Spirit's just going to use me. And I think, man, there's something in the middle there That's where, right. where I'm going to work, 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 and then not count on my work. Yeah. And so it's very hard to, to know where the feedback's supposed uh-huh. to come from. Yeah, the Holy Spirit can talk to you in your office, too. <laughs> That's right. I'm counting on it. That's right. Um, did you write and still do you kind of keep the same practice of writing as you did when you were in the pulpit? Is it like early mornings or afternoon coffee or is there? Usually in the mornings. And mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I picked up something that, you know, if the Lord had left me in charge of the world, I'd make all preachers do. Okay. Um uh, in the insurance business and in sales, I was given categories and kept my time. You mm-hmm. have this if you're in any business where you sell your time, where you have to bill yep. for hours. Yep. And so I continued that even in the ministry. Huh. And what it helped me with is it kept me from spending all of my time off in this and never doing evangelism or whatever. Uh-huh. So I have, and I now, even today, Keep categories of time. Is that right? Mm-hmm. And that's useful. Yeah, that's that's a handy because it knows where I'm. I don't do it as much anymore because you know retired. I don't have to do all of that as that much. But it it's just one of my quirks. Well, and it's like no great anything happens without discipline. Mm-hmm. At some point, you have to be a disciplined person if you're going to. You know, you look at some you know some song or or some piece of artwork and you think what a what inspiration? There's a lot of toil behind mm-hmm. that inspiration, almost always. You yeah. know, the little kid sitting at the piano working on their five finger mm-hmm. exercises. <laughs> Someday he might write a great, uh, you know, symphony. But right now, it's a lot of toil. Okay, so uh, we're taking too much time, but just let me real hit. Tell me what role music's played in your life. You're a wonderful singer. You hear harmony very easily. Has music always been part of your life? Yeah, I think so. Not not in any kind of. Um, you know, stage presence or anything. Okay. But obviously, grow up in the church, you got all those hymns. Yeah. Um, I started in band in the fifth grade, played through my freshman year of college, uh-huh. uh, and uh, did barbershop. Mm. So I've always enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Barbershop, that sounds like it was fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Patrick likes uh, all that, like, mm-hmm. no instrument, tight harmony stuff. Yeah. It's different than punk rock. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, Barbershop's got its own unique set of, uh-huh. of harmonies. Uh-huh. But I was always, you know, on a scale of one to ten being a professional. I was probably a six. Yeah. Right. That's enough to have some fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> right on. Well, uh, and then I, I also wanted to circle around um, – you talked about your fascination with prophecy, which, you know, I there was in the church about when you're coming into ministry, a general real fascination with with prophecy, like just kind of like the Jesus movement yeah. kind of stuff. There was a real emphasis. You're in Southern California. Chuck mm-hmm. Smith is nearby. Um, you know, there, there seemed to be. So, so the book that you published three years ago, mm-hmm. two years ago, um, did that start in the seventies? Were you making notes that ended up in that book then, or was there? Oh yeah, before that. Is that right? Um, and again, I think this this would have run back into about sixty three. This uh, little church in Long Island that was teaching on the messianic prophecies. Yeah, and so they got this thing, and and always you get into studying prophecy, you work along and things fit, 
mm-hmm. and then there's some squirrely thing that doesn't fit. Yeah. You know, and like I say, I would study and get frustrated, put it away. A couple of three years later, I'd dig it back out and work on it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and for good or bad, that final book was kind of where it finally didn't have any pieces left that I didn't have a okay. thing I was comfortable with. Mm. But... You know, one of the big mistakes when Jesus came was that they had figured it all out. That's right. And he didn't quite fit, so they judged from that, obviously, he's not the answer because he doesn't fit what I've worked out. Right. And so I tried in the book to say, look, this is my best guess. Yeah. And I'm also committed that the closer you get to any fulfillment, the clearer it becomes. And therefore, we should today have a better opportunity to comprehend Revelation mm. than Schofield had. Mm-hmm. And I've always been one who's been much more interested in, you know, don't tell me what you have read that people think. Mm. Tell me what you think. Mm-hmm. And so I, I developed, again, right or wrong, what I view as the highest probability. Yep. Not after studying all the great theologians. Yeah. And what they thought. Yeah. But how do you put the words together? Well, and you know, it's one of the things that read in your book that, um, and we could we could do a whole podcast on that. In fact, I want you to promise that every once in a while we can do one of these that's just, we okay. pick a topic and kick it around. Yeah. Talk about nobody but like my mom wanting to you know, <laughs> listen to that. But for me and you, it would be a hoot to work out all the world's problems. But um like I, this is kind of why I was saying that. Like you're in a, you were, you kind of came up in a time where prophecy was kind of a there was a real interest for it in the church yeah and in a place where like where southern california was kind of the launching pad for a lot of a lot of end times theology in the 70s and 80s but you're not really a man of your time like you read a lot of those guys and you you kind of end up reading the same things over and Mm -hmm. over and you can tell where they went to school and you can tell what time they came up, but your book does not read like the late great planet earth. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I think, you know, you're not a a guy that is real easy to fit into a camp. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would have a hard time describing with the major, uh, vocabulary words available to me, what camp you fit in. Uh, It's, you know, you're shaking Mm -hmm. your head right now that, (laughs) and I think that part of it, it might be that you enjoy that. Yeah. And part of it might be just, I love what you just said, that like you started with the scriptures, not with, well, what's everybody else think about mm-hmm. this? I I, guess, I don't know if there's a question in there, but it's something along the lines of, is that important for all of us to not just look at, I have a guilty conscience, right? Like I, I always feel like if I, if somebody else didn't say it first, I probably, you know, I'm probably wrong if I have an original thought, I'm sure. So how important is it to start just with just with the scriptures and not with the scholarship around that scripture? Well, it's certainly the more exciting. Ah. Um, you know, case in point. But I think commentaries have a place and other writers have a place. Sure. So when you, when you gain some thought that hopefully is from the Lord mm-hmm. and you say, wow, isn't this fantastic? Mm-hmm. You know, that they can either affirm it Mm-hmm. Or you can say, no, he made a mistake here. Sure. You know? Um, 
I can't remember what it was. There was something that I found years ago, and I thought, this is most fantastic. I've never heard of this. Nobody else knows this but me. Wow. <laughs> and then about a month and a half or two later, I discovered that Matthew Henry discovered it. <laughs> Just an obscure yes, commentator. You know, Nobody's yeah, ever heard yeah. of Matthew Henry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and so you go through that. So it's beneficial. But, uh, but when you pick it out, it's not stale. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. By that, the way, in that other shaping time, mm -hmm. there was another wave went through that impacted my life a great deal. Mm. And that is the what Baptists call the third wave, which was the charismatic renewal yeah. of the mid-70s, yeah. early 70s. So, okay, so it's just, it's just the Jesus movement. The Well, charismatic renewal, and that was Baptists who discovered the Holy Spirit. <laughs> And a lot of Assembly of God people who discovered that once saved is enough. Yeah, yeah. There's a nice time in that. Yeah. And sadly, it kind of died away. Yeah. We're due for another... You were late. We're late. Yeah. Yeah. You and I pray for revival a lot together. And, uh, you know, I know it has something to do... I Not that I worry about this, but I kind of assume that it has something to do with a lack of willingness to suffer. That it seems like suffering and revival go together in mm -hmm. the church, and it has some, something to do with, with uh, the comfort that is so easily available. And it's it's harder and harder to be discontented, um, in a non-distracted kind of way. Mm -hmm. Like, like uh, a fight on the internet is really easy to get into, but actual contemplative thought mm -hmm. about the dissatisfaction of life is more and more difficult. And um, I think it has something to do with that. But comfort is boring. Comfort is super boring. <laughs> it sure is. Mm -hmm. Hey, uh, before you go, give me a couple of couple of thinkers, couple of authors, couple of books that everybody needs. You have any? Okay, number one. Yeah. It's called by it's by Amstoy, and it's called Chronology of the Old Testament. Okay. This is the biblical dating that is done at a PhD level. Yep. Classic. And then. Uh, um, is that would you suggest that to somebody just sitting at your table on Sunday school? Is no, that, no, okay. Most of them don't care. Okay, <laughs> okay, and you're fine with that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I have. I don't have any great. Number one, uh, I don't care about devotional stuff. Yep. So that wipes a lot out. Yep. Um. And again, they're. You know, the various ones that I enjoy. Obviously, C.S. Lewis is yeah. phenomenal. Yeah. And uh, that whole kind of strain uh, touches me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that's... And again, um, I get into a lot of stuff of history. Mm-hmm. So I like to deal with that. What percentage? How much do you read of theology and then non-theology or consume maybe yeah, is better yeah. than read I'm, I'm big on current events mm -hmm. and so that's good input I'm attracted to anybody who's willing to think outside the box yeah yeah whether they're saved or not yeah I like it man I can't tell you what you mean in in my life I remember uh you know coming here and I've been in ministry my entire adult life since I you know I was doing youth ministry just after I was a youth, um, and, and have worked under great men and all that. And, and, uh, but having somebody of your caliber 
who's you know a step ahead of me in career and uh, your willingness to hug on me and listen and pray with me and just your friendship just means the world to me so I really appreciate you You're kind yeah I really appreciate you coming in and you know we're in a lot of ways I feel like we're cut out of the same cloth I like the ways that we're the same and I like mm-hmm. the ways that we're different if we were the same in every way it wouldn't be any fun at all mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, and so I you know I look forward to, to sitting down with you again and and I appreciate you coming in good thank you well, that's Patrick Hawks over there pulling the knobs and, and twisting the levers. And uh, our guest has been Fenton Ward, and this is Lighthouse Stories Podcast. Everybody uh, go nuts. Have a great week.